Today's message, uh, the title is somewhat different, isn't it? How to avoid mummification. You say, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Well, you'll figure it out in just a moment. But mummies are, of course, wrapped up uh, and they're kept uh, for their burial in these uh, mummification situations. Well, I've known a lot of people who seem to be mummified before they ever died. In fact, one writer said, I think on the epitaph of many people should be written, uh, died age 30, buried age 80. You remember our friend William Wallace, who may or may not have said, as it is reported in Braveheart, when he gave his great statement and he said, every man dies, but not every man lives. You're right, William Wallace, every man dies, but not every man lives. Another way to ask it is this. What are you going to do with what God has given you until you die? Are you going to live until you die? One other writer was talking about how some people seem to do more with life than others of us. And they gave as an example for someone who did a great deal in his life, Benjamin Franklin, who died, by the way, at age 84. He had two years of formal schooling. And yet this writer said, most likely you're reading this article with bifocals, and that's what these are. Oh, by the way, invented by Benjamin Franklin at, by the way, age 79 years old. Other things invented by Benjamin Franklin. That cell phone in your purse or your pocket is charged up by electricity, harnessed by Benjamin Franklin. The U.S. mail that all of us still use, snail mail it is called, was invented by whom? Benjamin Franklin. He established one of the Ivy League universities. He established the first fire department. He invented the lightning rod. He invented a wood stove. It's still got his name on it to this day. Here was a man who was witty, who was a philosopher, who was a conversationalist, who was a linguist, who wrote and spoke in five different languages. He was a futurist. What do I mean by that? He was an advocate of parachutes dropping out of hot air balloons way before his time. Well, look at what he did with what he had. Look at what he did with what he had. What are you going to do with what you have? What are you going to do with what you have? I believe God is going to ask all of us that question. I believe he's going to ask me that question. What did you do with what I gave you? Well, the scripture we're going to read today in John is powerful. I'm just going to tell you up front, it is. It's always my goal when I preach just to let the text say what it says. Let it loose. Let it go. And it'll do wonderful things. It tells us how to avoid mummification. How to die before we, how to live before we die. How not to die before we die. It tells us how to live in maturity or maturation. It tells us some wonderful spiritual truths. So look with me, beginning with verse 20 in chapter 12, as we continue our study of the gospel. Of John, and scholars call it what adjectivally it's called the 
Johannine gospel, the gospel according to John. Look at verse 20 with me, please. Now, some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Let me just stop there. Greeks, meaning Gentiles, go up to what festival? We've already studied. It's in the Passover season. They're going up to the Passover feast and festival. Let me just stop and just park here just for a moment. Who might these people have been? These were not first-time guests. These were not uh, investigators for the first time. In the Jewish faith, there was a process by one which became Jewish. If you were not born Jewish. And that process had various stages. These people were probably in that first major stage called God-fearers. These were Gentiles who were seeking the truth that they believed was found in the Jewish religion. And so they would come to the festivals, enjoy the feasts. They would learn and they would go into the temple area, what was called the court of Gentiles. And they would listen to the preaching of the Torah. And so once they moved past that stage, they would go into another stage called proselytes. This was a different stage. And after they finished that stage, they would go into a mikvah, which is a Jewish ceremonial bath. It's like a baptismal. And they would be baptized or cleansed, moving into the process of becoming a Jew. And so most likely, these Greeks were at least in the first category, if not the second. So these Jews were among those who went up. And by the way, the original language, Greek says, were accustomed to coming and worshiping at the feast. So they were more than just casual, first-time onlookers. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida, which is a town in Galilee. And they requested of him something that each one of us can understand. Sir, we would see Jesus. I think some great singers years ago sang that. Larnell Harris and Sandy Patty, we would see Jesus. I think it was Larnell maybe, but it was a great song. We would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Now, let me just stop again. You're saying we're never going to finish this passage today. Well, hang on. Dale and I just finished watching an eight-episode series, and I don't often recommend uh, TV shows to you or movies or anything because I'm often disappointed by them in some way. But we've enjoyed watching a show called The Chosen. You have to get it on YouTube or something. I don't know how to get all those things, but I know it's not on uh, Netflix and Primey and those kinds of things. But anyway, you can find it. The Chosen, and it's wonderful. But in it, everybody wants to see Jesus, just like this is saying. And yes, Nicodemus, about whom I read in my Bible reading this morning in John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus when? By night. And they came to him by night looking for an opportunity to talk to him. So everybody wanted to see Jesus. And what does it say? They came, sir, we want to see Jesus. So they go to Philip. But interestingly enough, then it says Philip went and told Andrew. Well, why tell Andrew? Why don't you go to Jesus yourself? Well, some people are more timid than others, right? Maybe Philip was just a little bit timid. And he was scared to go up to Jesus. Jesus, these people won't talk to you. 
But I'm going to tell Andrew. Andrew will tell him. Well, by the way, in the scripture and in that little series we've watched, hope they make some more of them, uh, Andrew's always bringing people to Christ. We don't have any recorded words that I know of of Andrew. But every time you see Andrew in Scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. And they knew, maybe, maybe Philip knew, he'll do it. <laughs> he'll do it. I'm scared to, but he'll do it. So he goes to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, and that's what we're going to talk about today. He says, the hour is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This is the beginning of the end, boys. It's soon fixing, as we say in South Carolina, fixing to be over. The hour has come. I assure you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces a large crop. The one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Listen to those words, friends. Those words are antithetical to anything that we understand by human logic. They just don't make sense unless you are a follower of Christ. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Because where I am there, my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And then look at verse 27. This is fascinating. He says, now my soul is troubled. Why was he troubled? How could Jesus, who's God, be troubled? Was Jesus fully God? Say amen. Was Jesus also fully man? Amen. He was both. And that, that dichotomy is something that's impossible for human beings to understand. That he was fully God and fully man. But here we see him fully man struggling. He's troubled. What should I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But that is why I came to this hour. And then here's his prayer in verse 28. And it ought to be your prayer when you wake up every morning. Father, glorify your name. Through me, through my family, through my church... Lord, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it. They said it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me but for you. Now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto me. All people unto me. He said this to signify by what kind of death he was about to die. Look at verse 34. Then the crowd replied to him, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Jesus answered, the light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going while you have the light. Look at this. Believe in the light so that you may become sons 
of light. Jesus said this, then he went away and he hid from them. Oh, my friends, as these Greeks, these God-fearers, these Gentiles came, Jesus spoke a message that all of us need to hear. First of all, he said, I want you to know about my glory. So he speaks of his glorification, but also of our sanctification. Those are two big words, but listen carefully. He speaks about his glory in this text. And he says that when I am lifted up, I will glorify You, Father, look and see what he is saying. He is referring, of course, to the cross and beyond. For he sees the glory that will come following the Christ. And he uses uh, what we would call an agrarian analogy. Meaning he talks about the seed and the planting of the seed. Which was done, of course, regularly in an agrarian culture. And he talks about how the seed must be planted if it's to bring forth fruit. Now, I love archaeology, and I've studied archaeology over the years. My degree is not in archaeology, but I've studied it uh, as an avocation, perhaps. And I've seen both Christian and non-Christian archaeologists unearth some interesting things. And on occasion, uh, when the Egyptians would open up a mummy tomb, they would find seeds planted, uh, seeds uh, buried with, not planted, but buried with the Pharaoh or whomever it might be that was buried. And it's interesting to me that often they would take those seeds and wondering after thousands of years, could those seeds still produce fruit? And they'd put them in the ground, water them, give them sunlight. Guess what would happen with those seeds? They would come forth. But Jesus is here saying something about himself and about us. He's saying there can be no glory without suffering There can be no fruitful life without death. There can be no victory without surrender. So he is speaking about his own cross and the glorification that will come from the cross as he is lifted up on that cross. But he's also talking about us. For God's children are like seeds. We may be small and insignificant, but when planted With a view to doing something for the glory of God, our lives become special. And I don't care who you are. You may feel very unworthy, but if you will let your life be used for the Lord, he can do something special in your life. And it may never reach the newscast, and it may never be on the newspaper, but you can be used for the glory of God in ways that you may never even understand. And I've seen God's people over the years, some of them uneducated, some of them shy, but I've seen God use people in ways that are fantastic. One of my favorite stories, didn't tell this to the early group, so see, you're blessed by coming, you're in the the latter group. I like to tease, some people are latter in the day saints, they don't function real well to latter in the day. Some of you will catch that little bit of double entendre later on. But one of my favorite stories is about a little old country church. And they had a Sunday school class full of boys. And nobody wanted to teach those boys. Well, I was one of those boys once. Let me just tell you. I understand. uh, Just telling you, I understand. Nobody would teach this Sunday school class of boys. 
And the preacher preached on it one day, and there was one deacon. Looked kind of like Jeff Mace back there, but one deacon, he thought, surely this guy will teach because he can do it. So he preached and called for somebody to give their life to teach in that class. And sure enough, that deacon sat still and didn't move. But he said another man came walking down the aisle. He thought, oh, no, oh, no. The man can't even read and write. And he comes down and says, preacher, I'll teach that class. Preacher, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's the only one that offered. Okay. So he gives them the Sunday school material. Now listen. Gives them the Sunday school material and wonders what in the world is going to happen. But soon, the boys from that Sunday school class start walking the aisle on Sunday mornings, giving their life to Christ, one after another, until every boy in the class comes forward and wants to be saved, wants to be born again. So the preacher goes to this old fellow and said, what in the world did you do in your class? The old guy said, now listen, preacher, you know I'm the dumbest man in the church. I can't even read and write. But he said, listen, you know what? He said, I just gave that material you gave me. I couldn't read it. So I gave it to one of the boys the first Sunday and said, listen, I can't even read and write. You've got to teach this Sunday school lesson. So those boys started studying that lesson and the word of God got to them, preacher. And they started getting saved. And the next Sunday, I'd say, okay, it's your turn next. And he'd hand the material to the next one. I thought, hmm, that old guy's pretty smart, wasn't he? That old guy was pretty smart. God can use you. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are in life. If you are willing to have your life planted for his glory, he can do great things through you. Maybe you'll never even understand. Maybe you'll never even know about, but God can use you. God's children are like seeds. And as we yield our lives and let God plant us, he can do amazing things. He talks about our sanctification here. This is the opposite of being a mummy or dying before you die. Instead of living short-circuited lives, he tells us how we can live lives with fulfillment he says, the one who loves his life will lose it, but the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anybody serves me, he must follow me. Follow him. Let your life be used for his glory and his honor. Be a seed that's willing to be planted, to die so that you will be resurrected. One of my favorite stories I've told you before, I believe it was missionary William Calvert went to be a missionary in the South Seas. And, and these were days when on those islands, there were still to, this, to that date cannibals. And so Calvert and his group of missionaries are taking a sailing ship to the South Seas. And as they traveled, the sailing, uh, the captain of the ship grew to love them dearly. And as they were getting ready to disembark onto the shore of one of these islands, the captain begged them not to go and said, please don't go. If you go, you're going to die. To which Calvert replied and said, Captain, we died before we ever got on this ship. Listen to that. We died before we ever got on this ship. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, die to yourself and follow me. You want to be a child of the light? 
Follow me. Believe in me. What a powerful, powerful text. He calls us to remove ourselves as the Lord of our lives and let him be the Lord of life. Somebody say amen. Amen. Second, we see Jesus praying unto the Father. Look at verses 37 through 40. Uh, through 30, 30, 27 through 30. As we see the prayer received from heaven. What was his prayer? Father, glorify your name. As I've already said, that ought to be your prayer every single morning. It ought to be my prayer every single morning. Lord, whatever happens today, glorify your name through me. Glorify your name. Well, God answered. What language do you think he used? Huh, you ever thought about that? What language do you think he used when he spoke? Aramaic, perhaps? Ooh, somebody's smart. Aramaic. That's good. Maybe so. But I like to tell this story. Maybe you've heard it before. If you stick around me long enough, you'll hear stories over and over. A lady whose first language was not English was talking to Billy Graham. And they were talking about the same subject. What language do you think we'll use when we get to heaven? And she said, oh, Dr. Graham, I, I know it will, not, it will not be my language. It will be English. He said, well, dear lady, why do you say that? Your first language is not English. <laughs> she said, well, Dr. Graham said, we all know how lazy Americans are. And they're too lazy to learn another language. So I believe God in his great mercy will allow the language of heaven to be English. Well, I hope so, but I don't think so. I think that dear lady had it wrong, but I don't know what language it was. Maybe it's not a language that any of us would ever know on this earth, but when we get to heaven, we will understand with great clarity whatever it might be. God answered, and some people thought it was the voice of an angel. Some people thought it was thunder, but God answered, and what did he say? You already have glorified me, son. In your ministry and in your life. And you're fixing to glorify me in the cross. You've already done it, Jesus. You have glorified me in two different ways already. And you are about to. What a powerful word. And in essence, in verse 30, Jesus said, listen. I know God spoke and answered. But he really did it for you more than he did for me. Jesus already knew the answer. But he did it for us. Last and quickly, look at those last verses. Jesus spoke of the cross, verses 31 through 36. He spoke of the cross. The hour has come. We've already seen. He said, now my heart is troubled. I am in great distress. He was already troubled. But the hour of judgment, he says, has come. The light is only going to be here a little while longer. But soon... The hour of judgment will come. And this, first of all, will come for the evil one, for Satan himself. And he says that his day is numbered. And the day is going to come when he will be cast forever into the lake of fire. His days are numbered. And so we see him recognizing the defeated enemy that Satan truly is. And we pray for that day when he will be judged and imprisoned to cease his hurting, cease his persecution of God's people any longer. And then he says something that we've heard so many times. And if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. 
What's he talking about? He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about glorification. If I be lifted up, that act of my being lifted up, that act of sacrifice, that act of shedding of blood will draw every man, woman, boy, and girl unto me. And we could argue all day long about reformed and non-reformed theology, Calvinism versus non-Calvinism. Uh, you may have an opinion about that. I do, and I'm right. What do you expect me to say? <laughs> Jesus didn't say, if I be lifted up, I will draw some unto me. He did not say that, did he? You know what Greek means in all? All means in Greek? All. Very complicated. However, he is not saying everybody will be saved. But the drawing power of the cross allows everyone that opportunity to say yes or no. Everyone that opportunity to give his or her life to Christ. If I be lifted up, crucifixion, glorification, I will draw all men, women, boys, and girls to me. That's his promise. This marked the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus according to the Johannine John gospel. But what a powerful way to end it. The light will be with you just a little longer. I'm about to leave, he says. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. But look at verse 36. While you have the light, Believe in the light so that you might become the sons of light. Oh, I challenge you today to believe in him. Follow him so that you become a child of light. And wherever we go in this dark world, we're carrying forth what? The light of Jesus Christ. Oh, my friends, what a powerful passage. Through his precious cross, he paid the price. Through the shedding of the blood of the perfect Savior. He draws us all unto Him. And I pray that even today you sense the drawing power of the Holy Spirit of God as He worked through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I ask you today to respond to the only thing that will draw you closer to God. The cross is a mark of shame in our world. And people make fun of us as a slaughterhouse religion that we would believe in a man who would be put on a cross. Oh, but we do, right? How did I end my service last week? I choose to follow the man on the donkey. I choose to follow the one who was lifted up on the cross. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your powerful word. Thank you that you still to this day draw men and women, boys and girls, to you through the cross. May we never forget it. May we never lose our love for the cross. May we never lose our appreciation of its power. And we ask it in Jesus' name.